You're listening to a 95BFM podcast. From our studio to yours, it's Various Artists with Francis and Liam. Oh, what a jazzy theme. Ahaha Maria Tena Koto Katoa, Ko Liam Hansen Toku Ingoa. Ko Francis Wright Toku Ingoa, no my Haru Mai, Ki Various Artists Motine Wiki. Welcome to our very first Various Artists. It's the debut. This is your guide to all art things happening in Tamaki Makoto and beyond this week, as well as chats about creative stuff, interviews with artists doing cool things, and more. My name is Liam. And my name is Francis, and we'll be with you for the next hour. How are you feeling about the show, Liam? I am feeling so excited. This is like a bit of a sort of a revival of the art bank and the incredible mahi that those guys mm. did. But it's wider and it's newsier and it's just more art everywhere all the time. How are you feeling? I'm feeling really good. And I think that more art everywhere is a great catchphrase that we can <laughs> carry forward for the rest of the show. Perfect. If coming up on the show today, we're taking a quick trip down to Taranga to chat about Workout, a multi-artist project taking place in the local art gallery. I spoke to curator Serena Bentley about the overall project, as well as artist Paul Dara and Tudemeke Harrington about their individual exhibitions. Then we take some time to celebrate the life of Aotearoa artist and photographer Arns Westra, who passed away at the end of February. I talked with Ethel McCready, curator photography at Te Papa, and David Alsop, director of Sweet Gallery, about Arns' life and works. We also have some tunes from Pavement and School Fair coming up. And your Tamaki Arts Guide from the 10th to the 7th of March. 17th, that was my typo in the thing. <laughs> we're going back in time, guys. Back this is time. how hard out we're going. Time warping on the art show. Hell yeah. Hey, aha ofakado. We would love to hear your musings on any of these pieces. So please get in touch to Kupatahima. You can text us on 5395 or Waya Mairane. Give us a call in studio on 393879. Also, after the show, koya e wariwari e ahiana koutou te whakaronga ke ene kōrero ano he pakihere roke roki maronga i te pai tukutuku o irirangi poho me haere ki 95BFM erikatikom You right. can catch all these chats and more by podcast on the 95BFM website, that's 95BFM.com We've la- we've um, actually lost our jazzy music but shall we get into the show? Let's get into the show I reckon <laughs> Let's do this Various artists with Francis and Liam So you can go to the opening for more than just the snacks Last Friday, Taranga Art Gallery saw the proper opening of Workout, a multi-artist project celebrating colour and how artists have turned their creative practices into sustainable careers. The gallery contains pieces by Simon Ward, Dreamgirls Art Collective, Yvonne Todd, Tudemeki Haddington, and Paul Darra. I've had a chat to the latter two artists about their pieces, Tudemeki's massive props and Paul's shape up and ship out. We'll be learning about what went into them and their creative practices as a whole, but first we will be hearing from Serena Bentley, the curator and exhibition manager of Tauranga Art Gallery. We had a yarn about the inspiration behind the project, the different artists involved, and more. So just for anyone who's not familiar, uh, what is your name and what is your kind of role at Tauranga Art Gallery? Um, my name is Serena Bentley, and I'm the senior curator and exhibition manager at Tauranga Art Gallery. I've been at the gallery for a year, but I got bumped up to senior curator at the start of this year. And is Workout your first kind of major project within this? It is, yeah. So obviously when you enter into an organisation or an art gallery, 
uh, there's often a forward schedule or a forward program. And so I have done a few projects here and there, but this is sort of my first suite of shows for Tauranga Art Gallery. Where has the project come from, from your point of view? So it actually came out of sort of quite particular circumstances. When I moved to Tauranga, obviously I was researching about the city and trying to sort of immerse myself in what was going on here. And there's a technical college here called Toi Ohomai, and I'd met with a couple of the tutors there, and they'd mentioned a degree called the Bachelor of Creative Industries. It's a degree that covers not just visual arts, but fashion, graphic design, character design, you know, industrial design, everything in between. Thinking about artists working in the field who have multiple strings to their bow. When my friends went to art school, there was no conversation really around the fact that you needed to stay, sustain yourself as an artist. You know, there's, you had to pay the rent somehow. So I guess it's a two-pronged approach in that it's sort of about celebrating creativity in all its forms that traverse the art world and wider creative contexts, but also sort of subtly acknowledging that you do need to sustain your creative practice in other ways. So through, you know, a day job as a graphic designer, through selling merch um, attached to your fine arts practice, you know, through working um, with uh, Bieber magazine on a fashion spread. Is that kind of where the name Workout came from? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, nice. Yeah, definitely. Just sort of trying to touch on labour and then also it's kind of fun as well and a bit jazzy. So would you say that you come more from a perspective of we should be treating creative work in a very kind of like not corporate way but this is work that you do and there's nothing super special about it or are you trying to still retain the kind of magic for lack of a better term that some people will treat the creative industries with i'm definitely trying to retain the magic so mm. the show is sort of meant to be aspirational and inspirational um for people while at the same time being slightly pragmatic and i think yeah also about respecting these different disciplines as creative in their own right so with Simon Ward, for instance, um, I actually had a conversation early on with someone who was like, you know, why would you show his videos in a gallery? And my question is, why would you not? Mm. <laughs> and similarly with um, Dream Girls Art Collective who are showing in the foyer, they've got really established, you know, rich and abundant street art practices. It's not something that you walk past and discover by, we want people to be immersed in that work, to spend time with it and to kind of really consider the labour around it and the craft around it. Because watching those gals paint was truly astounding, actually. And they are fast, too. <laughs> They're really fast. So that um, installation was achieved in seven days. Yeah. Talking back to sort of the Simon Ward side of things, it's definitely bringing in more of a new media animation side of things to Tauranga Art Gallery. Is there something that you're aiming to bring more of in the future with local artists? Yeah, definitely. Um, I think one of the tricky things for us is we're limited by space. Like we have so many ideas and so many ambitions, but you know, we only have so much physical space. And one thing we're really trying to do is encourage people to come into the gallery and spend time in the gallery on their own terms. So you don't necessarily come in and do the circuit and then disappear again. 
And so the great thing about um, our downstairs space, the vault where Simon's work is showing, is that, you know, it's all kitted out, it's carpeted, it's got bean bags, and you can really sit in there and relax. You know, I just sometimes enjoy just going and sitting in there and just zoning out. <laughs> and kids are actually obsessed with it too, which is a nice surprise. Yeah. I'd love to know um, what choices went into the curation of the five artists that you picked for workout. I mentioned before the link between color was there anything else that made you go these five these are the ones that we need to have uh for the start of this year uh in some ways out of my desire to work with particular artists Yvonne Todd is an artist I've worked with a lot so that body of work existed initially in a magazine it was a commission by fashion editor Dan Awa for Viva magazine and so Yvonne worked with Dan to realize these images that the initial outcome was in print. And so I think it was quite interesting to have that inversion of her practice in the gallery space and bring her work that existed in a different context back into the gallery. And I think for her, it was quite freeing because that was work that was made sort of outside of a dealer gallery context where she had to think about people who might buy the work at the end of it. Mm. So it was a completely different working process for her. So for, I thought that would be a nice strand to include in the programming uh, too really the big link is within that way that all of these artists have taken their work and made a living out of it, made a business out of it without necessarily sacrificing too much of their creative integrity or any mm-hmm. sorts of freedom or anything like that. Do you think that this is something that you're trying to encourage younger artists who may be going to these exhibitions to understand better, to be able to both pursue the arts, but in a way that isn't either soul crushingly sad or completely hopeless to be able to make any form of money that sounded really materialistic but yeah it's always interesting when you develop a show you have an understanding in your head of some of the themes that might run through them you have an understanding in your head of what it might look like but when shows are realized you're always somewhat surprised there are always pleasant surprises involved and one for me was that really strong sense of completely being yourself Uh, that all of these artists have such strong, distinct sensibilities and agendas and interests that are uncompromised. And so, yes, again, I I personally found that very inspiring, and I think you can really see that in the manifestation of the Dream Girls mural, and that it's something that was realised collectively, but within that collective, each individual is granted their own space to be themselves completely, And I think that's really key and that's sort of a key message. And, you know, similarly with Simon, the worlds that he creates are so remarkable and they're created from such modest means in a way. You know, he started working in his bedroom. He's working on no budget or low budget videos. He's roping in friends that he said were people that couldn't get jobs elsewhere. And yet they congregate and come together and create these truly remarkable things. So actually when I was in Simon's show, when it first opens, I got a bit teary because (laughs) it's just so remarkable what people are capable of creating, often from quite modest spaces. Yeah, no, it's great. So to just close out, um, if anyone tuning in from up here in Tamaki is like, oh, I'm going to Tauranga pretty soon. Maybe I should check by. Um, when does the when do these exhibitions go on for? When do they close? So they've actually got staggered endings, which is slightly confusing from a messaging perspective. And we actually just jiggled the closing of the show so that uh, some of them would have more time. But they're pretty much on until the end of April. 
check the website because all of the dates are on there. But if you want to see the entire suite, it will be on till the end of April. Um, I would just welcome everyone to come down and see the show. We're only two and a half, three hours away and um, the weather is very pleasant currently. So you can also go to the beach when you're done at the gallery. Make a little day trip out of it. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. That was Serena Bentley, the curator and exhibition manager at Tauranga Art Gallery, chatting about the multi-artist workout project taking place for the next couple of months. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to artgallery.co.nz slash work hyphen out. We'll be hearing from two of the artists showing work as a part of Workout right after this quick break. But first, feel free to let us know how you're going today. Text us on 5395 or call us on 3093879. 15 years old, eh? I remember when you were just knee-high to a nut bush. True, true, yeah, absolutely. You doing much to celebrate? Same old, eh? The whole month? You're a real friend, Ponsonby Social Club. Stay fresh, yeah? The same old Ponsonby Social Club is celebrating 15 years of being the most iconic bar on the strip with a month-long lineup of absolutely stellar music. Ponsonby Social Club's 15th birthday, all this month. Check out the full lineup at ponsonby.social. Cancel your weekend plans. Because Whammy Bar are hosting a hot fundraiser this Friday and Saturday with proceeds going to East Coast music venues affected by Cyclone Gabriel. If you think that rocks, wait till you hear the lineup. Friday features Tombs, Dick Move, Hans Pucker, and Daffodils. Saturday features Church and AP, Bailey Wiley, Amugi, and Dead Forest. East Coast rocks the most this Friday and Saturday at Whammy Bar. Get your tickets now from Under the Radar. Hey, man. Yo, you're late. Yeah, wild. Hey, look, I'm sorry. I had some trouble with the gear, but I'm here now, baby. I'm here now. What the hell is that? You're meant to be the Biz. It's key to the band dynamic. Hey, man, I am the Biz. So this is some percussion. That is a gong. Hey, listen, cat. Shakers are boring. All um, right, I'm, I'm about the gong now. A real Biz would never say that. I am the real Feel the power of the gong with Reburger's crave-worthy street food. Just listen in to 95BFM Drive every weekday evening and when you hear the dinner gong, text in for your chance to win a mean feed. The dinner gong, thanks to Reburger, only on 95BFM. Oh, don't suffer for your art chat. Various artists with Francis and Liam. Before the break, I had a chat with curator Serena Bentley from Tauranga Art Gallery about Workout, a multi-artist project taking place for the next couple of months. Seeing artists of various mediums bring their colourful mahi to the forefront of Tauranga Art Gallery. I had a chat with two of the artists having worked on at the gallery as well, Paul Derra and Todamaki Harrington, to learn more about their practice and pieces. First up, we have Todamaki Harrington, a former industrial designer and current maker based in Ponica who works across fine art, textiles and more. Her massive props exhibition combines Seo Māori iconography with various bright colours in the form of rugs and pieces spread across the walls and floors of the exhibition space. Here's Tui chatting about all that and more right now. So for any of our listeners who may not know of you or your work, could you give us a quick sort of elevator introduction on who you are and what you do? <laughs> you think I would be better at this by now? Uh, kia ora, my name is Tudumiki Harrington. I'm an artist based in Wellington. I work predominantly in sculpture and installation. Um, 
big colourful work. A lot of the colour, I think, is something that was very prominent in the um, Massive Props exhibition at Tauranga Art Gallery at the moment. How would you describe this project? The exhibition there, Massive Props, is carries on from an exhibition I had at the Douse uh, last year called Hepitomata I'm Energetic. And as one of the works within that exhibition was a suite of rugs called Fiwa Ororite, um, Massive Props. And I think, like, there's, a, there's these big column-like bones. So, you know, you've got references, phallic references and architectural references. And I think ways of thinking about, like, creation stories from Te Ao, Māori, Rangi, Ranginui, Papatuanuku, and kind of trying to imagine them in a kind of less, less linear narrative. Um, and so this work at Tauranga features a new collection of rugs, big green and pink bones kind of curving to, to almost kind of make this like supportive structure within the space so imagining the rugs is a kind of papatuanuku looking on but also relating the, the color pink to the viscera of both you know childbirth and kind of the gory the gory strong stuff that mm-hmm. mothers on earth do and I think I don't know just thinking around that but also quite loose with it I'm really happy for people to to interpret these, to kind of leave these things up for interpretation. What sort of thoughts went into the fabric choices for the rugs? Was there anything that you were sort of wanting people to take away from any sort of cottons or polycite, uh, what's the word, um, textiles that you chose? Or was it more so just kind of like whatever worked best? Uh, so the rugs are all 100% wool and manufactured down south by an awesome company. And carpets and rugs of New Zealand, like that little singer. <laughs> but um, and I, I have been interested in wool for a long time. I think there's I think there's a lot more to be explored there. But part of it is like selfish, right? I, I'd like one of these rugs in my house. <laughs> so you want to make these things from like luxurious materials. You also have a um, background in industrial design. Um, how has this kind of informed uh, your practice as a whole? I didn't think more and more as we go on. I think, I think like that that its influence can be kind of seen. Like a lot of all, basically all of my work within public galleries is fabricated um, by other people, and so there's a lot of like design process that goes into. I mean, it starts with the space. So like working working back with plan drawings of the galleries and then making CAD like computer models of them and kind of ways of responding to space. I think there's a lot of design processes involved, thinking about how people are going to navigate the space and ways of telling stories. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. If I, I've always found that the way that design and art and craft have people feel fierce about separating them and for good reason at some in some parts but i don't know i always find that quite an interesting thing to prod prod the balance of like after the last six years have been producing a toilet roll holder and it's made from the same material as a lot of the sculptures that i make <laughs> powder coated steel and i don't know i really i really like playing playing with that funny little bit in the middle where this particular piece is a like a, a like a utilitarian and functional kind of designed object that you can put in your house. And this one over here is a very specific and incredibly important artwork, you know, but they're the same material made in the same factory. Going back to the Massive Props exhibition, part of it is also the utilisation of Te Ao Māori and um, but being watched by Ka Tutuai, the spies or eyes started around the gallery walls. Um, what does this represent in relation to the rugs and everything else? So within the rug form, 
there's like a stylized eye and I don't know the eye the eye can mean a lot of different things but in this in this particular exhibition I was just interested in like it's a very very inviting soft and like soft colors soft materials and like big colorful open space and I'm always really interested in how you can be a little bit not scare children but like you can kind of bring in some darkness to these things and so I was you know just thinking about the way being watched can feel incredibly supportive and loving and kind or being watched can be one of the most unnerving things. Do you think that that's sort of like shifting uh, perceptions of things that can be seen in multiple ways such as uh, the act of surveillance both being depending on the circumstances either comforting or disconcerting is that something that you would like to experiment with more in the future? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think like if, every time I think I've done something new with my work, I can find an example of something similar, <laughs> like like the beginning of it three or four years ago, you know, and these things keep coming back. And I think, especially as I'm just really at the beginning of my career, all, of, all I'm trying to do at the moment is kind of get out as many ideas or other ways of looking at things that I can kind of call back to. So for sure, I think especially... I mean, I'm not at all literate in this area, but especially as we move towards a, <laughs> a highly surveilled state, I think these things will become like far more important to understand like our relationship to being watched. And Colour is the really strong thing that's kind of linked together all the various exhibitions going on right now at Toronga Art Gallery. Uh, have any of the other pieces that you've seen since either in person or just through images brought about any new ideas for you and where you could go next in your practice? I think always Zoe Hall's flames, man. There's something just so exciting about them. And like I can see within her work and um, the rest of the Dream Girls Collective, like a lot of the same thing, like you can get big, big, big serious ideas in, in a way that is like invites people in and it's a bit, you know, it's a bit subversive and a bit playful. But those flames up the staircase are phenomenal. <laughs> I'm definitely trying to practice a lot more looseness in my eyes. I think they're just, they're so expressive and they're so, it's fun. It's just so cool to see um, colourful and people trying to enjoy being alive. <laughs> That was artist and maker Tidamiki Harrington chatting about Massive Props, her ongoing exhibition at Tauranga Art Gallery, being put on as a part of the multi-artist project Workout. Her part of the exhibition will be closing on the 23rd of April, so be sure to make a day trip out of it and head down before then. While you're there, you'll also be able to catch Shape Up or Ship Out, an exhibition by Paul Derra tackling the worldwide shipping network and how it all links to Aotearoa. Paul has a background in illustration and graphic design, that saw him taken to New York City to work with massive brands such as Nike and the New York Times. But since he has moved back home to Aotearoa to work on bright, colourful and geometric paintings and murals, we had a chat about his exhibition in Tauranga and more. How would you describe your art to a, to a newcomer? How would you describe your style? I would say it's geometric abstraction. Um, and I use flat, bold colour. Colour like a, a large part of the a large component of the artwork, I'd say. And then it also has a very strong graphic sensibility. How did you get to this point in your style? What, what kind of led you to the current space that your art takes up? Kind of just a natural progression, I suppose, from where I started. And also at having a background as a uh, graphic designer has really influenced, I think, how I kind of create my art. Um, especially 
kind of using digital tools from in the beginning of the process. But I've always been more drawn to sort of flat color planes and that kind of rendering style. For this current show, I suppose things have just really been built down to their essence. Didn't want anything within any of the paintings that was unnecessary. There's been a very good development exhibition at Tauranga Art Gallery compared to your previous work. How would you describe the exhibition at Tauranga? What would you try and describe the ideas and uh, purpose behind that piece to be? Serena Bentley, who's the curator of <clears throat> this series of shows, she um, put out a framework for me to um, have a kind of presented space where my kind of two sides of my practice coalesce, and that being kind of mural work that I do, and, and then along with the, you know, exhibiting painting. Um, and then I think also behind that too, also incorporating the kind of graphic sensibility too, and having that conversation about um, having a kind of commercial outlet and practice in order to fund my art practice, and how those two sort of worlds coalesce. <clears throat> so that was sort of something that was, you know, intended from the beginning. Um, and so initially I, I was kind of inspired by that particular space because it's a long, narrow gallery, kind of hallway And so I was really drawn to the fact that I had really strong perspective lines. So I, I wanted to kind of really create a space that would be all-encompassing. But then also, you know, there's the mural component and there's the paintings on top of that. So I had to be really wary of not having one or how the other and how they could really be viewed as one piece, but also these two separate elements of the mural side and the, um, the painting side. The initial impression was taken from big infrastructure. And that was after a trip to Asia recently, Singapore and Malaysia, and just kind of my takeaway from being in those countries was just a really impressive, big, large, complex infrastructure network that they have compared to what we have here. From that, that got me thinking about the global shipping network and how we're also intertwined with that. Like we're all ordering so many things online and, you know, there's been so many disruptions with shipping um, through COVID and with our location in the world in Aotearoa, like all the way down the bottom of the planet. We really rely on, on that resource and that infrastructure. That was sort of the main thing that was kind of sparked my interest in, and I thought that that could be a, a good subject to incorporate um, into the show and into that space. And, this, and so that kind of led me to this idea of um, shipping containers, which also matches that base and this kind of language and code of conduct and, and ways of communication at sea. A lot of the pieces in this uh exhibition are very focused on the core kind of primary colors you compare that to some of your older exhibitions which can be a little bit more experimental um a lot of orange and teal in the past why do you go with the core red yellow blue and a bit of black and white in um shape up and ship out they, they use a broader spectrum of colors and and they sort of speak more to you know what i was doing traditionally because i do really like to experiment with color and i love you know oranges and teals and things like that. Um, again, kind of those colors that really are quite harsh and vibrate when they're next to each other, quite dynamic. Um, but as for the, the primary colors of the, the mural aspect of it, um, that was taken from the maritime flags and just the idea of um, global flags in general. Do you find vexiology and flags and stuff to inspire you a lot? I, I do, actually. Sort of... Um, retro retroactively, I think, like from doing this project and then looking back and seeing other things, 
I mean, I've always really been drawn to the power of icons and iconography. And again, I think that's something from my uh, design background. In the larger context of kind of the story of globalization um, and, and kind of in the capitalist sort of world, um, I think those very simple primary colors was like a really good um, way to kind of communicate that because they're not, they're not too complex. It's very relatable. Do you think that that kind of links to the uh, shapes that you used in this exhibition, which tend to be a lot more strategic and straight versus some of your older work, which can be a little bit more, for lack of a better term, bendy and wobbly? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it kind of like, is there a lot of a symbiotic relationship between the shapes and the colours in your practice? I think it's kind of an, a natural progression in a way from what I had been doing because the exhibition just before this one um, it was called Home and Garden, and that was at um, a colleague, um, Sonia Corrigina, her home over here in Otomote. And in, in that exhibition, it was we were showing in her in her home, which is kind of a mid-century modern um, house, which is also another you know massive love of mine that kind of architecture. And so for those paintings, um, I was just kind of stripping back the, the lines and forms of her home into um, just very simple sort of ge geometric architectural type rendering. So that sort of experimentation with, you know, really straight line and form um, something I really enjoyed in that process. So I kind of wanted to continue it on to this current exhibition. So, yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'll be continually using those really straight lines, but um, for now it's something that's kind of interesting me. That was Paul Dara chatting about the Shape Up or Ship Out exhibition taking place at Tonga Art Gallery from now until the 14th of May. Be sure to catch that and more of the other exhibitions taking place as a part of the Multi Artist Workout project before the end of autumn. Cheers to Paul, to Mickey, and Serena for chatting to me. If you missed any of those pieces, you can listen to them on the Bcast at 95bfm.com. We will be back after this break where Francis will be chatting about Anne's Westra. Michael Mayer, Foundry Breaking Artist, Revolutionary DJ, Label Boss to the Beyond Legendary Compact Records. In New Zealand for one night of sonic excellence and incendiary grooves. Lo-Fi presents Michael Mayer with support from Drake and OC and Aleha. Friday, March 10th at the Mothership. Koha on the door, all funds going to Cyclone Gabriel's relief for Auckland's West Coast communities. What's a seven-letter word for Street Fighter? No idea. I know that tonight at Ponsonby Social Club, there's... Alex Pipes live, followed by DJs V and Grantis. And tomorrow... Nico Nesna live, followed by Venetia and TDK. Same old Ponsonby Social Club, 152 Ponsonby Road. Audio. Culture. Tune in to 95BFM Drive every second Tuesday as they're joined by one of our friends from Audio Culture, sharing the songs, stories and salacious scandal from which is woven the mighty tapestry of New Zealand music. Audio Culture, more cultured than a blue cheese with a BA. Every other Tuesday on 95BFM Drive. Thanks to Audio Culture. Iwi Waiata, the noisy library of New Zealand music. Go to audioculture.co.nz. What's it all for? Various artists. 
Welcome back to Various Artists with Francis and Liam. We would love to hear your thoughts on the show's content today. You can text us on 5395 or give us a call in studio. We're on 30093879. The last few weeks have been ones of sad news for the arts community in Aotearoa. With the passing of Ron Brownson, the Senior Curator of New Zealand Art at Auckland Art Gallery Toyotamaki, and Arne Swistra, an esteemed photographic artist. Stephen Wainwright, Chief Executive of Creative New Zealand, aptly said that two totara of the visual arts world have fallen. This week on Various Artists, we wanted to take the time to remember the life and works of Arne Swistra. Self-taught, Arne spent long periods of time travelling around the country as a full-time freelance documentary photographer, committed to observing and candidly documenting New Zealand life and culture. Arne was a pioneer of documentary photography and one of the first women to work in this area in Aotearoa, New Zealand. In 1998, she was awarded the Companion of the Order of New Zealand Merit for Services to Photography. In 2007, she was made an Arts Foundation icon, an honour bestowed to a living circle of 20 New Zealand artists for their extraordinary lifetime achievements. And if that wasn't enough, in 2015, she received an honorary doctorate from Massey University in recognition of her long-standing contribution to New Zealand's visual culture. To hear about her life and works, I shared Kōrero with Ethel McCready, curator of photography at Te Papa, and also with David Alsop, owner of Sweet Gallery and lifelong agent and friends and friend of Arne's. Let's begin with Ethel. Obviously, it's been um, yeah quite a quite a sad few weeks actually for the arts community in in Aotearoa. So, can we start by talking about maybe Anne's early life, and can you explain how her career as a photographer formed, how she ended up in Aotearoa, and how her career started off? Yeah, well, she learnt photography when she was at school, my understanding, and her father had a good quality camera. And a formative moment was when she saw the exhibition, The Family of Man. This was an exhibition produced by the Museum of Modern Art in New York, but it was toured around the world. And she saw it in Rotterdam in 1956. And she bought the book and she poured over it and it was um, just incredibly influential for her. She also came across a book in her teens called We Are 17. It was published in 1955. And that sort of followed uh, a girl who was 17 and that I think is almost like a model for a number of uh, Arne's later publications. As for coming to New Zealand, yes, her father who'd split from the family uh, lived in Auckland and so she came here to New Zealand really on a holiday, you know, sort of a several month holiday to visit him and when she got here she um, stayed in Auckland for a while, worked at Crown Lynn and then came down to Wellington thinking she'd just see more of the country and, you know, one thing led to another and she decided to stay. Yeah, and how incredible that was for us as recipients of her of her photographic work. Can you explain to me what kind of photographic world she started working in as she started to practice in New Zealand? What was that scene like? Yeah, it was the camera clubs dominated the photography scene, I think you could say. So she belonged to the Wellington Photographic or Wellington Camera Club, I think it was called at the time. And that was involved entering work into competitions and so forth. She also worked at a photography shop, a Rembrandt Studios. I think they took probably passports and did portraits, but 
also they sold film cameras and so on. So it was quite a good way of being in touch with the photographic community in Wellington. There were a few other people around, like Brian Brake, for example. Um, he wasn't in New Zealand, but he produced the book New Zealand Gift of the Sea in 1963. So that was that was a very high-profile book, which was, um, you know, she would have seen. And there were a few other people, just one or two, like her. A couple actually were also immigrants. In fact, I think there yeah, two others. And one of them, Bernie Hill, produced a book uh, called um, Hey Boy, about uh, a young Maori boy's life, a day in the life, in 1962. So I think that was a sort of something else that was, you know, floating about at the time that she would have picked up on. I can hear you picking up there on the, yeah, the influences uh, in her work, which we really see come to fruition, uh, and particularly in her most famous works. But just for any listeners that aren't aware of what her subject matter is and uh, what those photographs look like, could you just explain for listeners uh, what Anne's work is, is focused on? Sure. It's entirely people-focused. Well, it certainly was for the first, what, 30 to 40 years. And generally quite close in. So these are unposed photographs, what we call candid photographs sometimes. So she wasn't doing formal portraits in the studio or anything like that. So they were, they were sort of grabbing moments, often unobserved, or if people did see her, they sort of, you know, she's not photographing them looking at her, so she's a fly on the wall for their lives. So what she captured very much is everyday life, you know, people going about their business, people at um, Hui, for example, or um, just on the street, that sort of thing. Am I right in thinking she had a particular camera set up which allowed her to be that sort of fly on the wall? Yeah, that's right. I mean, there's really two approaches which were used by different photographers at the time. One was uh, the 35mm camera, which was just coming in in the 1960s, uh, all being picked up by photographers here. And that camera was um, allowed you to shoot a lot, <clears throat> a lot of exposures very quickly. That was you know, quite a small camera. Um, the other variety was used by professionals quite a lot, and that was what's called a twin lens reflex. And that's a camera where you hold it at your waist approximately, and you look down into it. So when people are, you know, there's, in terms of photographing people unobserved, what they're really seeing is just somebody sort of looking down at some piece of machinery at their waist. It's not that obvious. Whereas you pick up a camera and put it to your eye, it does draw attention to you a bit. But if you're quick enough with a 35mm camera, you just put it up, take it down again, people often don't notice. So there's the two ways of doing things. And Arns chose the, the twin lens reflex for looking down mm. technique. And I guess, yeah, that allowed her to be that anonymous photographer and get those, I guess we'd call them candid, but they're so much deeper than that. Um, mm. why, why do you think her work resonates so deeply with audiences, both obviously a lot of um, historical success, but her work still are still really uh, popular today. Why do you think that is? Well, I think she often captured a moment. She captured warm moments. You know, she she was wasn't a sort of a critical photographer. She wasn't looking, going out, trying to make people look odd or stupid or you know the lighting and the sort of weird things that you see happening. She was very sympathetic to her subject matter, 
and she also just capturing human moments. So that's sort of something that we can all relate to, you know, like moments of emotion, for example, or intimacy. Yeah, and in people in their everyday lives. So they're not, you know, the, the thing about posed photographs is that people are putting on the pose. Here they are just being themselves. And I think these are the, you know, some of the attractions of her work, for sure. Mm. My final question is, what has the arts community been doing to celebrate Anne's life over the past week or so, and how do you think that legacy will continue? Well, at Tapapa, we've um, we've put on a special page. Uh, we've pulled together a number of different sort of online articles we had already, and so we've made a special Anne's Westra dedicated page on our website, and that includes a blog by myself, we're also putting together an exhibition of just a, a small memorial show of 10 works. So that'll be going up on the 18th of March. I know the Sergeant Gallery in Wanganui is, is uh, putting on a small display as well. As for institutions around the country, I'm not so sure. I think there's a lot <clears throat> there's a lot out there of Arms's work. You know, quite a few uh, obituaries have been written there's quite a lot of social media talk about her, her you know, the importance of her work and the, the issues that surround it. And um, there's quite a lot of online resource already. So, you know, I don't know how much more you can do in a sense. Feels like a yeah, an appropriate amount of, of recognition um, mm. of her work. Thank you so much, Ethel, for, for talking with me this morning. I've really appreciated uh, your insight and the deep knowledge you have of Anne's work and life. That was Ethel McCready, curator of photography at Te Papa, talking about Arne's Westra. Let's hear now from David Alsop, who owns Sweet Gallery, a living museum for Arne's work. We are celebrating Arne's Westra's life on the show today. I've been on the phone this morning with Ethel McCready at Te Papa talking about Anne's early life and some of her photographic influences, but I'm really interested to hear about your and Anne's working relationship. Obviously, that was really close. So can you start off by telling me how that relationship formed? Yeah, I met her in Leiden 2006 when her exhibition Handbook toured to her home city. I was living in Amsterdam at the time. Then I moved back to New Zealand in 2007 and, and set the gallery up. Arms came along as a uh, guest of the Dutch ambassador to a Dutch photographer's show I had there as the second exhibition in November 2007. So met her again then and said to her, uh, not really knowing what I was doing as a art dealer, said to her, invited her to bring a couple of prints into the gallery at any stage if she'd like to. So sure enough, a couple of weeks later she did. And then more arrived and we got to know each other more. The second part of a lease in Oriental Bay small satellite gallery I had in a garage where Jeff Ross used to rent and he founded his 42 Below business. Had that dedicated to arms for a period towards the end of a short lease there and then saw how much interest there was in Arms' work and how much work that really needed to be done in order to catalogue and safeguard her legacy. So uh, I carried on working with her, sort of helping with that and my staff at the time were kind of helping too. Then in 2013... Um, said that she'd always wanted to establish kind of a company to kind of run her affairs and I helped her do that and um, 2015 we started a digitisation project and now it's very in-depth, wide-ranging 
relationship I've had with her. I've, um, she's been like a mum in part, and she's known my children their whole lives. So really kind of strong friendship and mutual kind of trust and respect in each other, which has allowed or, or means that I'm in this position now of helping her family kind of manage her legacy. Mm. In that first instance, when you first encountered her work, what was it about the photographs that you were drawn to? I was drawn to their sort of their honesty, their artistic beauty, their historic contents, and I was interested in, in the genre of photography as an art medium. You know, this was even back into the 90s, and you know, it has taken some time for photography to be kind of sort of sort of uh, recognised and appreciated in, in that context. So yeah, I just just was aware of her work. I actually think in the very first encounter with her name, I, I think I just assumed it was a guy, but obviously not. And you know, um, this pioneering spirit from the 60s, especially when she was one of very few photographers, women photographers working, pretty much the only one. Along with um, other guys, yeah, that, that sort of fueled my interest. So I just started to buy some of her prints, which um, I still actually have got a couple of the first ones that I've owned hanging in my apartment in Wellington at the moment. This is a little about yeah yeah that was something I was really interested in obviously we've just celebrated International Women's Day yeah and, and the life of of Arns is pretty incredible what what was the environment like for women working in photography during her time uh, in a in a professional commercial environment that's a good question I don't think she ever counted any hostility amongst her peers you know she was very unique being this rangy Dutch woman who'd come over here and very determined and consistent and, you know, she was probably the first to any event to start photographing. So I think she was quite revered right right from the start of her professional career. Uh, her first freelance image was published in 1960, so she's 24 at that stage. And, and you know, talking to Bill Nathan as part of the memorial pro, pro, um, service sort of preparation, he's the senior commander at Ngāti Pōniki in Wellington, and he just said that Arms was just so different in the way that she approached coming on to Marae, the questions she'd ask about the sort of tikanga and kind of what was appropriate to do or not, and that she'd listened to people and respected people. So I think her nature said it was very helpful for her just to to arrive and to build up kind of respect amongst people she was photographing. Yeah. And it was that respect that, you know, following the initial introduction that she had through the Department of Education and the Ministry of Māori Affairs for the Tāho magazine. That's sort of how she came to be there in the first place. Then uh, she, the relationships took over and she was always welcome. People wanted her to be there and, and recording. You've touched on that a little bit there, the respect that was built up around Anne's over her career, but can you tell me a little bit about her as a person? What, what was it like to share a cup of tea with her? Lively. Anne's had strong opinions. She was well read. She kept up with current affairs. Um, she had respect for people. She liked people. She liked people knowing who she was. In the latter part of her life, we did. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about let's get to the troubles of the world. You know, the wheels are falling off at the moment. Um, and environmental concern, which led to her publishing this last book that was published by sort of for her, which was that. 
book called Our Future, which was sort of a call to action on towards the environment and thinking about what damage has been caused to it by us. Um, yeah, so that, that was the sort of thing. Uh, yeah, well, I missed those chats. It's very wide-ranging in, the, in what we would talk about at any time, but because we also knew each other so well, um, she liked to always just keep me on my toes and interested in how the children's doing and we talk about her children and a bit of gossip in the art world. Who was doing what? People were always wanting her to do things and ask her to do things, so there was always sort of some you know, kind of businessy things to talk about, how we might be able to do something or how help her do something or plan an exhibition or the Dutch embassy might need something or it was, it was always endless. And I think um, I mentioned the memorial service, I think the sort of tributes for arms now would just go on that ever really, you know, the recognition of her contribution. I mean, at least I need to kind of pace ourselves a little on kind of what we can manage in the short term, but we'll be doing quite a bit of work in the coming years towards sort of like Denise setting up scholarships and having something permanently connected to arms as a contribution to um, education and sort of the public um, opportunity to, to view her work. I guess my, my final question is you probably on a daily basis get to see people interacting with her works. Can you give me an example of, or just an, an essence of how people speak about her work and how it resonates with them in the gallery space? Yeah, that's the thing that sort of happens for all artists when they don't see their work kind of looked at by other people. Well, the the sort of three, the, most of the, the overall response is amazing. The response from people in the photographs is great to be kind of involved with and to see and, and engage with people who are in the photographs because that's like an amazing thing that they're in these photographs and that they exist and that they can act, have access to them. And then there's the sort of just the appreciation locally of, of the images which um, you know, we've just been inundated with people in both, both the gallery in Ponsonby and Wellington where people want to come in and just even look at something about her. We've had people arriving with gifts. It's been really like, overwhelming. And then there's an international audience, which is another exciting kind of thing where well, people who aren't so familiar with New Zealand culture, where there's, there's an interpretation of the images entirely based on their artistic beauty. So that has been, you know, since I was passing, something that we've noticed being really quite exceptional about the response from overseas people and um, you know, various international newspapers are doing obituaries and the New York Times doing one this week, Guardian have done one, been invited to kind of sort of be some you know, kind of things for profiles and international photography uh, kind of platforms and, and so it, it's been amazing to see that and you know, on her, um, her profession she would always describe as an artist, not a photographer. Mm. I think that's really testament um, to that kind of claim, if you like. Yes, absolutely. The the resonance and the locality and the far-reaching impact of, of her work as well. Oh, thank you, David, for, for your time this morning. It's been wonderful to chat to you and, and obviously my condolences to yourself and to Anne's family as well. Thank you. Kia ora, that was David Alsop there saying kia ora to the listeners. Uh, he's the owner of Sweet Gallery and lifelong agent and friend of Arns Westra, who passed away in late February. Only positive critiques.
honest. Various artists. It is time now for the art guide. As we slowly <laughs> zoom into the night in the woods music. This is your Ooh. weekly guide. Oh, it's so nice and atmospheric, isn't it? This is your weekly guide to the arts events taking place across Tamaki Makoto from the 10th to the 17th of March. Yesterday saw the beginning of the Auckland Arts Festival, Te Ahure Toi o Tamaki. There'll be exhibitions from the 9th to the 26th of March, seeing works from across the world brought to Tamaki Makoto. If you'd like to learn more, you can go to aaf.co.nz. For today at Amade, Friday the 10th of March, today is the last day that you can sign up for the Terrible Ideas Hackathon. It is a 46-hour creative whirlwind weekend designed to make you see you make cool stuff. From Makarame, am I saying that right? Macrame. I think it's macrame. Macrame filters. Yeah. To speed chess that shocks you if you show any sign of weakness. If you're into engineering, design, art, and any of those sorts of things, you should sign up today. The hack begins at 6 p.m. tonight and ends on Sunday, featuring multitudes of free food for participants and an opportunity to spectacularly fail. This is really something for people to take part in, but if you aren't super available for the full weekend, you can just do one day. You can learn more and sign up at terriblehack.co.nz to learn more. Free food, that is such a selling point. <laughs> Why not? That's your <laughs> selling point. Raharoi, Saturday, 11th of March. Tomorrow, Sweet Louise, New Zealand's only charity dedicated to supporting Kiwis living with incurable breast cancer, is excited to present a rare opportunity to visit Gibbs Farm Sculpture Park. You can visit Humanitix for more details on that. Ratapu, Sunday the 12th of March, is the last day to see The Shape of Things, Women's Work Exhibition at the Ellen Melville Centre. The show is a collaboration of over 30 professional female and non-binary photographers working to increase representation across the industry. On Rapere Thursday the 16th, that will be the last day to see the Cat Fox Terabella at Animalis Gallery. And next to Day Friday will be the Anarchist Book Fair at Mount Albert War Memorial Hall. Also, you can listen to the show again. Why not? Yeah, it would be great to have you back next week. We'll be back. That would be very nice. Um, do we have the time to move in a quick chain, I reckon? Um, let's go, let's go to the outro and then let's go to the outro. After. Okay. Sounds good. I'm gonna... Okay, here we go. Smooth transition. Yes, outro music. There you go. Ko katoa mō wiki. Nei te mihi kia katoa e korero mai ki o mō that is all for us on Various Artists today. Cheers to everyone who spoke with us. Serena Bentley, Tinamaki Harrington and Paul Dara on my end. Ethel McCready and David Alstop from my end. Neira hokite mihiki koto i whakarongo ana. Thank you for tuning in for our very first show. Remember you can listen back to all of those chats and more at 95bfm.com. That's right. Please do tune in again next week. We'll be having a bit of a pre-recorded show as we're going to be having a little themed road trip that's going to be interesting in like a couple weeks time but we've got so much stuff coming up we're so excited for you to listen to the show yeah continue tuning in that we will be on from every 12 to 1 p.m on friday from now on ka hoki mai mato e terewiki next up is the land of the good groove you're listening to 95 bfm various artists with francis and liam a 95BFM podcast. To hear more, head to 95BFM.com slash bcasts.